0: Welcome back to the Rocky Retirement Show. I'm your host Kathy Klein, and today's guest host is an expert on pain. Last week we talked about pain myths and misconceptions. And in case you weren't here last week, let me tell you a little bit about my guest host, Dr. Kevin Cucaro, is a fellowship-trained specialist and expert on the science of pain. Trained in anesthesiology at the University of Chicago and completed his fellowship in pain medicine at the University of Michigan. He served as an associate program director for the Naval Medical Center San Diego's Pain Medicine Fellowship Program. Woof, that's a lot to say in one breath. And he focuses on creating solutions for pain and pain related topics. Important to healthcare systems, clinicians, and us, the public. We're so lucky to have him back co hosting today. He has a free training at whywehurt.com, so be sure and head over there after the episode and check it out. And once again, I'll have a link in the show notes as well. In the first episode, we discuss what happened to me and how I could have dealt with my pain a little bit better. In the second, episode, we discussed how well our health system treats pain. And last week, we talked about pain myths and misconceptions. And I have been dying for this last episode, where he's going to give us the secret of why firefighters are better pain specialists than actual pain specialists. But before we start, I wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the Medicare Quick Step-by-Step Guide for Signing Up for Medicare. If you're signing up for Medicare for the first time, you know how confusing this can be. So that's why I created the step-by-step guide, which is absolutely free and will help you easily transition into Medicare. Head on over to medicarequick.com slash checklist and download your free guide today. Dr. Kevin Kukaro, thank you so much for co-hosting. I can't wait to find out the secret. Welcome back. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you, Kathy. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: <laughs> so today's episode is about why firefighters are better pain specialists than pain specialists. So what's up with that?
1: Well, um, a, a couple of different things is number one, when it comes to, to pain specialists per se, and again, I'm a fellowship trained board certified pain specialist. So I'm, this is my background. The way we practice and teach and talk to our patients is literally 50 to 60 years behind the science of pain. And that was a pretty difficult hurdle to overcome uh, when it was myself going through that process and recognizing, well, why is it that people don't seem to be getting better with these injections. Why is it that when we do more injections, they seem to lead to more injections? How come people have an injection, say they're better, and yet we can't, the medications don't seem to change or it seems like the pain moves somewhere else. So they went get back pain, get injections in their back, and now they have neck pain and they get injections in their neck and they get shoulder pain and they have injections in their shoulder and they weren't getting better. And so uh, that was what started my journey when it came to actually going back to the research and science of pain. And it also has influenced who I would recommend as a quote-unquote pain specialist. The vast majority of time, I don't recommend people see pain specialists, particularly the, their standard clinic where they're doing lots of injections and drugs and things like that.
0: Interesting.
1: And there's multiple reasons. One of which for is, is the injections that we're doing for persistent pain actually do not have data to support their use or right. support the idea that there's functional improvement over the long term with them.
0: Oh, I didn't know. I did not know that. I know a lot of people that get injections for pain, yeah.
1: and it is it is shocking there. But I have not touched a needle um, since 2013, and the reason I have not touched a needle or done an injection like that for someone for persistent pain is because you have a choice. You can either look at the research and data and be a scientist, or you can talk about anecdote and not trust the research and science. And unfortunately, when it comes to pain most people out there don't um, if they're even aware of what the research says, which, which again, doesn't support the use of injections for the treatment of persistent pain. Uh, they do this mental jujitsu thing. And then they start saying, well, yeah, I know the data says we're doing too many injections. I know the data says it doesn't work. I know the research says it doesn't work, but in my patients, they're different oh. uh, because we're, you know, we have this sort of the God complex and we believe we're somewhat, somewhat different. And, And and the sad thing about that is we're not supposed to be treating people by anecdote or story. We're supposed to be treating people on research and evidence. That's what having a science-based background is. And um, there are a lot of stories. I mean, I had people, you know, when I was doing injections, people would walk into my office and say, oh, Dr. Kukaro, you know, I, I feel so much better. Thank you so much. You're helping me so much. But when I took the moment to actually look at the chart, again, what is better? Better to me means you should be on less medications. They shouldn't be better.
0: seeing you anymore.
1: <laughs> you should be not seeing me anymore. You should be seeing less and less healthcare providers, not more and more. Better means you shouldn't be having to come back every three weeks, six weeks, four weeks. Uh, I know, I know. There's people out there who advocate patients get as many injections as they want, whenever they want. Hmm. Uh, that shouldn't be the case. You should. People should be coming in, doing what we do, whatever we do. We help them get better, and then they should get back to living their lives, not well, living with you know. healthcare. So. Um, that's a, that's a very long way to say is, is, and it kind of adds on to two episodes ago where we were talking about the, our healthcare system is miserable at treating persistent pain, pain that's been there for a long period of time. And a lot of it is, um, the procedures that we are doing and the surgeries that we are doing do not have evidence to support them, but they're also extremely profitable to do. I would get paid more to sign someone up for an injection than it would be to, to spend an hour talking to that patient about pain, and educating about pain, and talking about how all this stuff comes together and, and all these multiple contributors. Uh, it, for me to do an hour of that, I, I think, let I me mean, look at, I'm trying to think about how much that would be reimbursed through Medicare. Now, this wouldn't obviously go to the doctor, but with all the fees and stuff, I, it bills around five or $600.
0: Right. And you could make that in a five minute section
1: five minutes or more. Uh, the, the, some of these injections are a couple hundred dollars to over a thousand dollars, depending on how the insurance pays for them.
0: You know, was it one patient that brought about this metamorphosis in you? Like when did when did the light bulb click and you said, you know what? I I can't do this anymore.
1: Well, it, it kind of started in the military. And, um, and the reason I, I, I say that is military. I practice with amazing people. And also what was interesting in our particular clinic at Naval Medical Center, San Diego, we had seven fellowship trained pain specialists. That is extraordinarily rare, by the way, uh, because most pain clinics out in the community are one or two doctors, maybe. And um, but we had seven. So what that meant is we all came from different backgrounds and we're all doing and we're doing things and we're sort of learning from each other. The other part that was unique about the military is we had this thing called a group practice model. And what a group practice model means is we didn't have our own patient panel you saw whoever was in clinic that day and if you had a procedure day you did procedures on whoever was getting procedures that day
0: and you doctors also worked in teams at this at this pain clinic
1: well yeah we we did and we did that because we we had deployments and uh, we and some of us were anesthesiologists and so some days we were in the operating room and it was too hard <laughs> for them to schedule uh, you know to figure out to to, to try to line up patients with any individual doc and it drove me absolutely bonky at the time because um, the one thing about physicians is we're arrogant right we we've gone through this training and we're taught that we know everything and so we're all convinced that how we practice is the best way and so all the people i worked with and i loved them to death you just fantastic people um, but i was convinced that i knew what i was doing better than a lot of them did (laughs) and and meaning because i was always very conservative I would walk into injection. We did a lot of injections because we believed in injections and we thought we were doing the best thing. But I would walk into a room and I would be like, well, is an injection appropriate for this individual? Some of my colleagues, again, great people still trying to do the best they can. Different backgrounds, though, would walk into a room and they'd say, where is an injection appropriate for this individual? Now, those are two different questions and you get two very, very different answers to them. So some of us, the conservative ones, we would do, we would schedule less people for injections. And if someone came in with back pain, we wouldn't schedule them for a knee injection because their pain that they came in with back pain. Um, but if you go on with the idea that an injection is the cure-all, my, some of my colleagues were, were recommending people for injections that I would never would do. I would never have done it. But because of this group practice model, now I'm, I'm both doing these injections and then we're following up and you couldn't hide your outcomes. Right. Me- in a typical medical practice, you don't see other people's patients unless they're referred to you, unless they're consulting you. Um, and so I what I quickly learned is doctors have different definitions for the word better. Meaning I have, um, you know, I'd be at a medical conference and there is these high profile injectionists saying, you know, this injection works in everybody all the time, no matter what the data says. Uh, but I would see I would see the results of other people who would say those type of things that all the injections work all the time. And when you look at the chart and you talk to the person, you're like, they don't really seem to be better. Hmm. Uh, And so, so maybe the definition people are using is not the same as what I am. That's why I kind of define what is better to me. Better means you're on less medications. You're back to living your life. You're seeing your family. You're not, you're seeing less healthcare providers. You're having less and less interventions, not more and more interventions. Um, while for some people it was just, if the person says they are better and they walk out the door, that's better, right? not looking at anything else. So that's where that, where that process sort of started. And, and for me, I thought it was the model. I think Um, that
0: didn't cause any political problems for you.
1: No, well, (laughs) we had some, we had a lot of discussions and I, and I'm going to put this out. My, my time in the military was amazing and it was because of the people I worked with in the mission that we had. And while we had disagreements and we had very different practice styles, people were willing to talk and learn. And so we had we had a lot of case discussions and they're just just amazing people. But I thought it was the model rather than the medicine being the issue. And what I mean by that, I thought it was this, this kind of discordant model where um, because I wasn't seeing my same patients and I wasn't doing the procedures on my patients and I wasn't following up my patients aggressively, that it was because other people were interfering that the results were bad. I still very much believed in doing injections. I was... I, A huge interventionalist. So when I left the military, though, and that's when we moved to Oregon, and I went to a community that at the time didn't have a a full-time pain specialist and joined a medical group here. And so I had the ideal practice environment for me where now I could see the patients. I could do the injections if I believe they were appropriate. And then I could follow up very aggressively with my patients to see whether or not they're getting better. And within six to eight months, I realized that my outcomes were no different than what I was seeing in the military. What I mean by that is you could have the same people with the exact quote unquote pathology do the exact same procedure and you have completely different outcomes. And that's where I would have people in my office saying, Dr. Kukar, I feel so great. But then I would look through their records and go, wait a second, we just did injections in their back. And in the three months since I've seen them, they've gone see an orthopedic specialist and get injections in their knee. They saw rheumatologist got injections in their shoulders. And now they're back again saying their back and their neck hurts. I mean, that's not better. And um, so the first part of that for me was, well, maybe... Maybe I need to look at the data on all these procedures that, that I am trained in, that I am the specialist in and I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I first started looking at the data and said, holy crap, if you, if you see the people who are not paid to do the injections, when they report on that data and they look at the, at the evidence associated with them over and over and over again, and this has been published for quite literally at least 10 plus years now, the injections don't work. Wow! And we're still doing them.
0: But they then, temporarily make you feel better.
1: Well, here's the thing, though. It may not be what we're injecting that is making things better. It has everything else to do with it. And What I mean by that is we have studies where people do uh, spinal injections,
0: or where they're
1: injecting steroid,
0: uh-huh. or they're
1: injecting a numbing medicine, uh-huh. or they're injecting just what we would call normal saline, which is an inert substance. It doesn't have any pharmacologic effect. Uh-huh. And the results were the same. You're kidding. No. So yes, people can get better after an injection. But the reason they're better isn't because of what they're injecting. But everything else is associated with it. Right. And that was that one right there, that probably hit the nail on the head because then things started to make sense for me. Because when I was, a, again, I was a very conservative in how I did injections. And when I did injections, I did them in the safest manner possible. So if I did a, what I called an epidural steroid injection, what I injected in the epidural space, which is in an area of the spine that kind of surrounds all the spinal nerves, all I put in there was saline, which is inert, and steroid, which takes six hours to act. And yet when I would do these injections, I literally would have people, not all of them, but some people within the first couple minutes would jump off the table saying, I feel great. And they did. Wow. The reason they felt great wasn't because of what I put in their back. It was because of everything else that was involved in that treatment.
0: And that made you go, hmm, they shouldn't feel better right away.
1: It didn't make sense from the model of pain that I understood. And so then I went back to the science of pain. And this is the part I, you know, I do a lot of speaking about this and I do a lot of education to the healthcare community. And, and I don't think this gets, I, I try to emphasize this. I'm trying to emphasize this more and more. I'm a board certified fellowship trained pain specialist. And if I'm saying I went back and looked at the science of pain and realized that what I thought I knew, I did not know, then maybe it makes sense to actually question some beliefs about pain and stop assuming and actually start looking at the science of pain. Because the science of pain has advanced tremendously in the last 20, 30 years, but we are at least 50 to 60 years behind the science when it comes to the healthcare system. And certainly when it comes to people like me with my background and what we're doing for pain, we are so far behind the science. It's embarrassing. So that's, and that was, that's a long way to say is basically I looked at the data on what the procedure said. I went back to the science of pain and understand how pain worked. And then, uh, and then it would just you, you just I just couldn't do it anymore. When you're when you're doing these injections and you're recognizing it's not the injection that is the is the therapeutic agent involved anymore. It's all the ritual that's surrounding it and what we say and what we do and the expectations and the beliefs and all this other stuff. Not only then, if I kept doing injections, am I harming my patients? Because these injections have side effects. Everything that we were injecting had side effects. Right. But I'm also imparting worse beliefs about pain. I'm helping people to somehow believe that pain oozes like pus from the body. So I'm supporting that. that. And we have research that shows that the more you believe pain equals damage, the less, uh, I should, the more pain you experience, more experience over time and the less functional you are over time. So you tend to get worse. I'm like, how can I do this? Knowing what I do? I mean, it's still, you're paid a lot. The average, the, the mean income for an interventional pain specialist is over
0: $500,000.
1: So that is a lot of money to stop. But in the same token, is when you're when you have to either ignore the data, do the mental to just to pretend that it doesn't exist, or somehow I'm better than the research and data. Which which as a scientist and as a physician, you should never say that unless you have your own outcome studies that you can say that you're tracking your own data. Uh, we're costing the healthcare system billions of dollars in care, and ultimately, we're not helping people get better. So I would like to think that if more and more people understood that, we would have less unnecessary procedures. But frankly, it is very, very difficult to get over that money hump, and uh, and it is a very, very difficult thing to kind of over- overcome our own beliefs and assumptions when it comes to pain. For, certainly for me, that's when I was going through panic attacks. Was when I was reading this, understanding that, and that was waking me up in the middle of the night because I have a family. I, at that time, I had a young family. I had two mortgages because we still had a house in San Diego that we were paying on, and yet here I am having to make this choice on: Do I continue to do these injections because they pay the bills? but I think I'm pretty much hurting people with them or do I actually follow the data and actually be a doctor and try to do what's best with my patients. And it was not in any way, shape, form, an easy choice to make. I, I, so I'm not, I'm not some, some wonderful person. It was extraordinarily difficult to do. Um, But sometimes you have to do the right thing because it is the right thing.
0: Right. And so that's what you did. And so now you have some free classes and you have, a paid course on pain, but what does this have to do with firefighters? I'm dying to know
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry, we went a little off there.
0: no I, it's all interesting
1: so, so here's the thing and, and and the reason this was all relevant to that is again if you if we have a tendency to think of pain as oozing like the pain pus, you know we, we can call it pain lava, but pain pus provides a better visual there. <laughs> And um, if you're thinking that pain oozes, then what you think it it can be done or pain equals damage, then the choices become, can we cut it out, poke it, drug it, or interrupt the flow of the pain pus? But when we start looking at pain as constructed, and remember I've gone uh, said a number of different times, there's at least three major contributors that create or construct pain. You have that sensory aspect. That's the sensation coming from the body. And then you have that cognitive element, which is the attention, the beliefs, and the expectations you have. And then the final element is the emotion, the memory, mood, and meaning that is associated with that sensation. And it is all three of those components that come together in order to construct an experience of pain, which means for any pain in any moment, at any time, to truly kind of understand it, you have to be thinking on at least three dimensions. Well, that becomes very difficult to explain to people. And it's difficult to think because we don't necessarily perceive our world that way. We think in cause and effect. That's the kind of way the brain wants us to think because it's, it's a survival based mechanism, but there's a community out there that has to think in three dimensions all the time in order to do what they do, which is a public service. And that community is firefighters. And if, uh, when when I first kind of stumbled on this, this, this analogy, I used to think, well, maybe I learned about firefighting from an advanced course. But when I explained what I'm going to explain about two seconds in a live audience, I actually had someone I go, well, who else knows what I'm talking about? And a lady uh, raised her hands. I go, where did you learn this? And she goes, I learned this in Girl Scouts. And what we were talking about is something called the fire triangle. Are you familiar with the fire triangle?
0: No, tell me.
1: So the fire triangle is a tool that firefighters use in order to fight fires. And because fire is a dynamic process. And in fire, there are always, no matter how complex or simple the fire is, there's always three elements that are, that are there. You have the fuel source, you have the heat element, and then you have the oxygen supply. And it is only when you have all three of those that come together that you construct fire. And so what firefighters know is if you can see a fire and start deconstructing it into these three elements... And seeing how these elements change or what the different contributors are, you now know how to, how to fight that fire. And so there are some fires that you would not, like most fire you put water on. Now, what, what our water does is actually heats the heat element of it. And as it decreases the heat, it interrupts that process. But there are some fires that you would not want to put water on. So if you have an oil-based fire, if mm-hmm. you throw water on an oil-based fire, what happens? It kind of explodes, explodes, right? Oh, it explodes because so what firefighters recognize is that you can have different fires with different constructions. But if you recognize what these three elements are, now you can fight these fires safely and effectively. You don't just go out there and say, well, we could throw water on it. Let's throw some more water on it and let's keep throwing water on it and hope it gets better. Instead, you go, what's the fire in front of me? What's the therapy or what are the major contributors that I need to target with my therapies? And so, because firefighters are already thinking in three dimensions, I am firmly convinced that with a little bit of basic uh, pain science, because they're already thinking in three dimensions, they would be spec- better pain specialists than pain specialists in most clinics out there, because uh, they already have the thinking down, because they understand that pain is just like fire. Just that fire is similar to pain, and it has those three elements. Fire has fuel, oxygen, heat. Pain has sensation, cognition, and emotion. And if you understand how those different elements can can change and and be in flux and can really be different within seconds to minutes, now we can recognize that every pain is unique, but we can deconstruct it in those three key contributors. And now we can start targeting those three key key contributors safer and more effectively.
0: That's great. You want to repeat those three for pain again for the listener?
1: Yeah. So again, so uh, fire has fuel, oxygen, and heat.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and pain, pain has.
1: We have sensation, emotion, and cognition. Mm. So the sensation is the fuel, right? Because something if something is burny or sharp, that in and of itself is not pain. The way I kind of will explain this to a live audience is if you have a burning sensation in your mouth, that is just a sensation. If you're a burning sensation in your mouth, but you love spicy foods, the right. meaning of that burning sensation is very different. The attention that we pay is very different the experience that we have is very different if you hate spicy foods and someone pranked you and now you bet a hot pepper and now you have a burning sensation in your right. mouth the same sensation different meaning different attention to it you're gonna have a very very different experience
0: mm, that makes so much sense thank you well, thank, thank you, you for that now i can com- now i understand better how firefighters you know, can be better pain specialists than actual pain specialists because they're already thinking in three dimensions. And that's what we need to do in order to control our pain.
1: And it and it is it, that's not easy to do, by the way, because again, we tend to think cause and effect. So if you, if you stub your toe, the first thing you think is, ah, the pain is coming from my toe. But as being aware enough to recognize that the only thing that's coming up from the toe is a sensation. And there's these other elements that are involved. Are you uh, paying attention to it? Are you feeling threatened by it? What's the meaning to it? So even with a, with a, with a stub toe, you can, ha- you can stub your toe and never have any pain hmm. if your attention, which would be a heat element, is pulled away. So one way to think about that is if you stub your toe, it typically would hurt. If you stub your toe because you look up and you see a bust rearing down, it's going to hit you, you're going to run gonna away. Run. <laughs> you're not going to experience any pain at that moment of time because you don't have any cognition. You don't have any heat there in order to construct that pain fire from.
0: That That is so true. Absolutely. Well, I know that you have to run off to another event, and I really appreciate your squeezing this one in. How would you like our listener to contact you if they have more questions?
1: Go to whywehurt.com. There's a free course there, and I uh, my contact information is actually in that program itself. So if they have questions or comments, they can send them to me directly. I, I do want to add one little thing here is usually when I do a talk like this, or we do a podcast like this, I like to warn people up front, and we didn't do that with the first episode, is it's very easy to feel threatened when we're talking about pain. It's very easy to start feeling a rush and say, Dr. Kukara, you're an absolute idiot. You can't. You don't know me. You don't know my pain. And that is 100% true. I do not know your pain. What I do know is the science of pain. But I would say is, though, if you're if you've gone through this set series and you've heard something and you feel it and you, you get this visceral reaction like, Oh my God, this is, you're an absolute idiot. Instead of saying, Dr. Kukaro, you're an absolute idiot, period. Put a question mark on the end. Because if we add a question mark, what means that there's a dialogue, there's a chance to learn, there's a chance to understand, there's start, start to to have a discussion. And so I, I, I usually try to add that in, in front because sometimes people will hear this kind of information and they'll feel like somehow that their pain is not valid anymore, which which I, I don't believe I've ever said that all pain is real. All pain is pain. But what I do think or what I do say sometimes that people can get upset at is I do say pain can get better. Uh, whether you've had it for 40 years or you've had it just for five minutes pain can get better. And, uh, the way that we typically will get better are through, through things that aren't typically prescribed or procedures that are done or, or surgeries and things like that. So, um, I just want to put that out there. Cause I, I, I do have that feedback sometimes and people come can, can get upset and that's okay. I don't mind people get upset. You don't, is, but as long as there's a question mark and there's a, a willingness to have a discussion, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to have a further discussion with people if they, if they would like that.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And for the listener, head over to whywehurt.com for that free workshop. And we're so glad that, that you came on the show with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Kocaro.
1: Well, thank you, Kathy. I really appreciate it. And it was a great time.
0: Yes, it was. And for the listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.